According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 5. You can turn to all three places simultaneously. Hard to do in a paper Bible. We will read through these uh, three parallel texts and then we will proceed into our study. Before we do any of that, though, let's take time for silent prayer and ask the Father to sanctify our thinking. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the opportunity we have this morning to assemble together and to receive instruction. Father, we continue to lift up the uh, believers there in the aftermath of the hurricane praying that uh, those with hope, those with answers, those with truth might step forward and be a, a faithful witness and a blessing. And we just, again, thank you for such privileges that we have to communicate the, uh, the grace of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. It was interesting listening to the... Uh, I was at a Boy Scout meeting last night as a part of my responsibilities as the troop chaplain there for Troop 146, and uh, they were discussing a lot of the refugees, I don't like that term, but the, the displaced people that are now looking for other places to relocate and so forth, and how many thousands that have come out of the Austin area and what the school districts are doing, Round Rock, Austin, the different school districts are doing it, taking these kids and getting them in classes and so forth, and and then I found out that in the process of doing this, that uh, I guess Westwood and McNeil were the two high schools around where the scout troop was located. Anyway, they evidently they scored some premier high school football players coming from New Orleans. And uh, we realized that, okay, there's a humanitarian aspect of wanting to help children and get kids in school, but when they could score two premier All-American football players in the process... I started to speculate as to what some of the motivation might have been. I don't know. but Anyway, we keep those things in prayer and are just very thankful that God's sovereignty has already planned for these things from the, uh, from the Alpha to the Omega. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 8. Sometimes it's helpful to look at all the texts simultaneously or at least one right after the other after the other. Uh, it's hard with a paper Bible to lay them out side by side unless you get three separate Bibles to do that with or you pull it up on your uh, screen with... Uh, software application or something, but let's just look at it here. This is event number eight now in the Galilean ministry, and we're really going to, I think, with the uh, the demoniac we dealt with in, in Incident 5, uh, and now we have leprosy mentioned for the first time now in, in Incident 8, we're really, we're, we're building some, some foundations that we're just going to see again and again and again and again. I mean, how many more demoniac episodes are there in the, in the life of Christ? How many leprosy incidents are there in the life of Christ? And so, really, these early ones will help us down the road. And so, uh, I don't mind um, taking the, the, the closest look at, really, the first one and then using the subsequent events to review what we've already studied. Uh, but this one's fairly well known, and I expect that these next few incidents will go rather rapidly. We've got this uh, this leper that's healed, followed by the paralytic that's healed, the very famous one where they couldn't get him in through the door, so they cut a hole in the roof and started lowering him down. Uh, we got the call of Matthew, you know, the tax collector. These things are all going to start coming along here pretty quickly, and then we're going to hit Passover number two. 
uh, coming up here in John chapter 5. So we've already completed, or we're close to completing now, the first year of the three and a half year ministry of Jesus Christ. All right, Matthew 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him imploring... I'm sorry, I should have stopped with verse 4. Different episode there, starting in verse 5. All right, flipping over now to Mark chapter 1. We'll read... All of these are very similar, the Synoptic Gospels. In fact, any reference to leprosy itself is limited to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John does not use the term or refer to any of these episodes. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And I appreciate this verse for a lot of reasons. Um, I think the the reference there to compassion is a positive one, and particularly in the light of, of those that would be so... Uh, Pharisaic in their in their uh, mechanical legalism of academics only that we don't want any any kind of emotionalism to creep in because somehow that's that's uh, you know that's wrong somehow that's a reaction you just need more doctrine and residency don't be so emotional about it well this isn't saying that we're driven by our emotions and this isn't saying that we're in any kind of emotional revolt or we're we're uh, reacting rather than acting but this does say that a believer with doctrine and residency can have true and accurate compassion and be motivated uh, by such so moved with compassion jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him i am willing be cleansed immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. That's an extraordinary statement. And leave it to Mark who is uh, really recording the gospel of the servant to notice the the details such as this, to where uh, his popularity was growing to such an extent that even to enter into a city publicly was uh, becoming quickly impossible. All right, over then to Luke 5 for the third and final account on this. Luke 5, 12 through 16. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even further. Uh, And large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. There we saw it again. We saw it a couple weeks ago and we saw the priority that Jesus had for his personal prayer ministry with God the Father. And how how much vital is it? How vital has it become when the popularity is increasing 
when uh, the temptations are there to start to be filled with pride and other snares that say, oh, look at me, look at this wonderful ministry, look at these great things that are happening. Uh, Jesus Christ says, wait a minute, I want no part of that. Uh, and make sure that uh, continued intimacy with his father becomes the order of the day. All right, we want to gather about five things out of this incident before we move on to the healing of the paralytic. Let's start with the aspect of leprosy here, what is translated as leprosy. And you can spend the next six months studying this and still not come up with any answers. The first of several lepers will find healing during this episode. So this is this episode becomes foundational, just like the, the demoniac we dealt with back in episode 5 of the Galilean ministry. It was the first, but there will be many to come. All right, Some that uh, will just simply be mentioned in passing, and only a handful that will be given any significant treatment. This is the first of several lepers will find healing during this episode. And as far as what a leper is, or what is leprosy, we'll give you some details on this, because... There is uh, widespread disagreement, even among conservative scholarship, as far as what uh, these particular diseases actually were. But it simply says a leper came to him. That is a person who is uh, suffering from this particular malady. All right. And uh, it's remarkable when you describe a person by a characteristic, (laughs) right? I mean, how many times do you have to steal before you're officially a thief. You know, how many times do you lie before you're a liar? You know, where it becomes so pervasive and so characteristic that that then becomes your title. All right. And there's some that uh, that stick. And it's interesting that the way just in the interesting aspect of language, how do we use language to describe a person? And yet we don't use equivalent language to describe somebody else. And it really it's uh, that's almost a social commentary more than a linguistic one in some cases. But here is a leper. And, and the difference being, I think, significantly, uh, a distinction between something that's behavioral and something that just you have no control over in, in many respects is some of what I think our uh, political geniuses are having trouble trying to wrestle with. All right. I won't pursue that anymore. <laughs> I'm going to let that go for the moment. Now, um, here's a leper, and he's a leper because he has leprosy. Um, same scriptures that we just read through, Matthew 8, 1 through 4, Mark 1, 40 through 45, Luke 5, 12 through 16. But now part of the problem we're dealing with is the fact that we're not actually translating words, we're just simply transliterating, because the Greek word for leper is the Greek word that we, where we get the English word leper, all right? So it's not truly a transliteration, uh, a translation, but it is a transliteration. It is the form upon which the English word originated. Lepros in the Greek, L-E-P-R-O-S, lepros. Lambda, epsilon, P, rho, omicron, sigma, Le- lepros. Number 3015 in your Strong's Concordance. And so it's like other words, you know, we, we tend to forget that taco is a Spanish word, right? You know, and other things, the burrito and fajita. They just come across, they've been adopted into the English language through much common use, and we just adopt it, and that's now our word. And what does it mean? Well, you know, is there a meaning, or is it just a word that we've borrowed, and we take that meaning for what the English word means? And that's ultimately what we do. Lepros, strictly speaking, is an adjective, but when it's used to refer to a person, then we, it's called a substantive use of the adjective. You just call him a leper, even though lepros is, strictly speaking, an adjective. 
somebody that is affected with leprosy. It's only used nine times in the New Testament, all in the, in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Beyond the context that we're examining today, in other words, beyond Matthew 8, we have it three more times in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 10.8, Matthew 11.5, Matthew 26.6. And it's remarkable in these instances, and it's, it's really much more common in the Old Testament, we'll show that to you as well this morning, but in chapter 10 and verse 8, when he is sending his disciples forth, part of the authority package they're given, all right, it's kind of like um, we, uh, our, our church constitution says that we reserve the right to license and ordain. Uh, it says the, the right to license and ordination will be reserved. Say, it doesn't actually go so far as to define what licensing and ordination is. <laughs> and so I think we have a weakness in our Constitution. But churches with, uh, reserve this right so that we can determine, basically, who we lay hands on, who we identify as a pastor-teacher, who we authorize to minister as a representative of Austin Bible Church, and so forth. And so here are these men. They're going out with Jesus' ordination. He is licensing them we'll call this the licensing and then we'll call when they become apostles and he sends them forth after the resurrection we'll call that their ordination all right just giving it modern terms and this is the package of what he's giving them and he tells them and including judas by the way from verse four the betrayer these twelve jesus sent out after instructing them do not go in the way of the gentiles do not enter any city of the samaritans but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of israel now that's going to change later but for now, in this early incident here in Matthew 10, the ministry was primarily to Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of John the Baptist, the message of Jesus Christ in these early uh, days and months of his ministry. Then it says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely received, freely give. This is a part of their instructions for going forth. And the cleansing of lepers is just as incidental as healing the sick and casting out demons and other things that you just kind of do just to prepare for Bible class. See, it's like turn on the lights, get the air going, start, start a pot of coffee. All right. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Now you're ready to teach Bible class. All right. And we don't want to the, the, the miracles aren't the focus. The miracles are simply to give the, the credentials so that the audience recognizes this is a messenger sent from God and he has a message I'm accountable for. I've got to listen to this message. So that's the use of it there in Matthew 10. We'll talk about that more when the 12 are selected and when the 12 are sent forth. Next chapter over in chapter 11 and verse five. This is a part of the testimony that the Christ has truly come. And part of the encouragement to John the Baptist when he says, uh, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, the Old Testament is being fulfilled that this is the Christ. He has come uh, according to the scriptures. At the end of the Gospel record, in chapter 26, we're introduced to a fellow named Simon, uh, Simon the leper, Matthew 26, 6. When Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial and then the thing there. She starts anointing him and 
The Pharisees are all scandalized. We'll deal with that as well. Simon the leper. Okay, the uh, other accounts in Mark. Mark 1, of course, is our text this morning. Mark 14, 3 is, I believe, the same encouragement to, or the same Simon the leper that we just read about in Matthew 26. Yep. And then uh, Luke 4:27 actually precedes this incident. Um, but that was just where simply Christ was teaching in Nazareth and saying, you guys aren't going to get any aren't going to get any special treatment because, you know, there were many lepers in the days of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Luke 7.22 and Luke 17.12 wrap up the last uses of lepros in the New Testament. Uh, Luke 7.22 is, again, the encouragement to John the Baptist that the lepers are being cleansed, so it must be truly the Christ in your midst. And then Luke 17.12. Ah, entered the village, ten leprous men stood at a distance, he healed them, and only one of the ten went back to offer any kind of thanksgiving. So there's, there's a whole Sunday's worth of, uh, there's a whole month of Sundays right there that you can preach on the ten lepers, and only one went back with thanksgiving. All right, that's the term that we have in this text. We have a second term in this text, which is the noun form for the disease itself, called lepra, L-E-P-R-A, lepra. The noun form of this disease, lepros is an adjective, as I said earlier. Lepra is the noun form referring to the disease itself. Again, leprosy is not so much a transliteration as it's simply an English term that is derived from the Greek vocabulary. It is used four times, all four right here in this account, in the Matthew 8, Mark 1, and Luke 5 accounts of this man here with leprosy that was healed and uh, the... uh, Instructions to go and uh, fulfill the Mosaic uh, law. Now, so there's not much in terms of the New Testament where leprosy comes up, other than these incidents here where Christ is healing them, where he's given his disciples authority to do that. We never have it recorded that they actually did any of that. He told them to raise the dead, for instance, and we don't have any record of any uh, resurrections or resuscitations that the apostles did during that Matthew 10 uh, training ministry. Uh, You talk about a training ministry where you're commanded to bring people back, restore people back to physical life. That's that's extraordinary. Uh, but and then once you get into the epistles, once you get into the, the book of Acts and the remainder of the epistles, and the rest of the New Testament, we don't find leprosy significantly featured. And we're left to wonder how much of this leprosy that was apparently widespread in the gospel accounts was simply um, angelic conflict consequence unique to the incarnation era as opposed to a natural disease type of phenomenon. We'll comment upon that here a little bit as well. The Septuagint has lepros a dozen times, lepra 39 times, much more common in the, uh, in the Septuagint, in the Old Testament. Plus it has a couple of verbs and then a, a neuter noun. It has leprao, lepraamai, and lepron, another uh, seven times on top of the, the uh, 51 times that we've seen lepros and lepra. So the Septuagint is very full of um, Information here with respect to leprosy. We'll see some of these passages here this morning. Um, but under subpoint C, you can just simply note the vocabulary that we have there in the Septuagint. The uh, Hebrew is called Saraf, T S A R A, 
Put a little apostrophe in there. A-T-H. Tzara'at Nath. Number 6883. 35 uses of Tzara'at Nath. And then uh, another 20 uses of the verb Tzara'at. Number 6879. Once again, we're finding that words are being translated almost uh, without exception. Uh, every use of tsarath and every use of tsarath that we have in the Hebrew text comes across to us in the English as leprosy. All right. Even though we're not to- medical science to this day is not very um, content with the assignment of modern leprosy to the ancient terms that are employed in Old Testament and New Testament records. And we'll discuss that here as well. Even in the English usage, the word, the, 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 the sickness called leprosy has changed over the past few hundred years. And I think sometimes we're stuck trying to, trying to translate medical technical terms without totally understanding what they were, what they were describing back then. So point E. Leviticus 13 and 14 are the primary texts for the disease of Tsaraath. And there are some uh, Bible dictionaries that you can read or reference material and so forth that they really have stopped calling it leprosy and they just call it Tsaraath. Um, because, as I say, I think a lot of modern scholarship is uh, struggling to identify Tsaraath with Hansen's disease, with the modern form of leprosy as doctors today refer to it. So uh, join me in Leviticus 13. Let's examine it. Leviticus 13. We've got Ethel with us this morning so we can get a nurse's perspective on all this. Which is much better than my perspective. Let me tell you, my medical perspective would be just simply, don't worry about it, don't go to a doctor, it'll go away, you'll be fine. All right? But, wait a minute, let's go through Leviticus 13 and 14 and let's see if the don't worry about it, it'll go away, you'll be fine approach actually happens. In some cases it does. All right. (laughs) Leviticus 13. The Lord spoke to Moses to Aaron saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes an infection of tsarath, leprosy, on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. All right. Why? Are they doctors? What kind of medical training do these priests have? We're going to recognize very quickly in the course of these two chapters that this is a spiritual matter and that the clean versus unclean is a ceremonial manner as opposed to anything medical. The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body and if the hair in the infection has turned white and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is an infection of leprosy. It is an infection of tsaraath. When the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. All right. Now, is this a clinical diagnosis or is this just simply a observation made by the spiritual stewards of this dispensation and a determination that this person is going to be excluded from the solemn assembly? All right. Just as perhaps, uh, you know what else they were charged with looking at? Not just people. They were charged with looking at the sheep. At the goats, is this one qualified to be? Is this 
Does this have a spot or blemish? Can this be a sacrificial lamb for Passover, a sacrificial ram for the Day of Atonement and so forth? The priests were responsible for observing the spotless and, and, and blameless aspect of their sacrificial animals. And this is not that different. All right. We also struggle with some of this because even the vocabulary from verse 2 for uh, swelling, scab, bright spot, some of those are also Hebrew terms that are not as uh, crystal clear as uh, folks would like. Uh, in other words, there's still room for debate as to, you know, is it a scab or is it a scar? Is it a swelling or, or exactly what is it? Because uh, the aspect of... Uh, the Hebrew language not being as precise as the Greek, for example. All right. Now notice, um, so the priest examines and the priest determines that, uh, that this is uh, Tzara'af and he is isolated. He, should, he is pronounced unclean. Uh, verse 4, if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body, it does not appear to be deeper than the skin and the hair uh, on it has not turned white. Then the priest shall isolate him who has the infection for seven days. The priest shall look at him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the infection has not changed and the infection has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him for seven more days. The priest shall look at him again on the seventh day. That's now the second time around on the seventh day. And if the infection has faded and the mark has not spread on the skin, and then the priest shall pronounce him clean, it is only a scab. And again, vocabulary is interesting between the scab of verse 2 and the scab of verse 6 and the different things here. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab spreads farther on the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again to the priest. And he's going to go through this process again. The priest shall look, and if the scab is spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is Saranath. All right, so now this is the process. But now notice... There's no, um, there's no, we have what some would think of as a diagnosis, right? Because he's looking and he's making a pronouncement and he's defining, is this or is this not? But now also notice the, the uh, prescription, as it were. There isn't any. Or the course of action. What is the treatment that's being offered here? There isn't any. Just simply go away. Um, or... Come back. Say, you can participate in the uh, worship of the children of Israel. Uh, it goes on. Verse 9, when the infection of a leprosy is on a man, then he shall be brought to the priest. Um, there will be other incidents here as far as when it spreads to clothing and when it spreads to even a house who uh, can have the Saratnath. Real long chapter, and I'll bore you to tears if I read it word for word. <laughs> so let's um, examine some of these other principles. If, um, as far as being cleansed now, get past the beard, get past the hair, all these other places where it could be. Um, verse 40, he's lost his hair and become bald. All right, verse 45. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair on his head shall be uncovered and he shall uncover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He was uh, isolated from the remainder of the children of Israel. And anyone that approached, he had to cry out as they approached to say, unclean, unclean. 
Okay? Not crying out leper, leper. He's crying out unclean, unclean. Okay? I think a lot of the commentaries are focused on the contagious aspect of this and saying, boy, weren't the ancient Hebrews brilliant for uh, quarantine procedures and for isolating this very infectious disease and so forth. And then other doctors come along and say, well, you know, it's really not that contagious. There's other things that are much more contagious than, than Hansen's disease and, and other things. And so the, the medical literature is, is uh, pretty thorough on this, on this question here as well. But... He's not shouting leper, leper. He's shouting unclean, unclean, as in the case of the other circumstances that will keep a person from entering into the assembly. Touching a dead body, for example, would keep a worshiper from entering, from approaching the tabernacle and bringing an offering and, and observing uh, the, the uh, rituals and observing the festivals of the nation of Israel. Uh, verse 46, he shall remain unclean all the days which he has the infection. He is unclean. Okay, well, how long is that? How do you treat that? How is that healed? How is that cured? When does that go away? Well, these are all matters that aren't brought up here in this text. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, when he is healed, um, verse 56, and notice it doesn't say that the priests have any kind of healing magic, any kind of healing powers. There's no spells that are cast. There's no sacrifices that are offered. There's no process by which this healing can take place. Uh, possibly, you know, a prophet like Elisha could come along and heal him like it happened with Naaman the Syrian. But that's not spelled out in this text. If the priest looks, it says in verse 56, and if the mark has faded after it has been washed, then he shall tear it out of the garment or on the leather... This has to do with clothes. Okay, let's get into chapter 14 then, because now we have the cleansing in chapter 14. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing, that he should be brought to the priest. Now, how was he cleansed? Was it a priest that did this to him? A prophet came along and healed him? Or, just don't worry about it, it'll go away. <laughs> Alright? Whatever the case... Um, he's brought back to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live, clean birds. This is the sacrifice that Jesus was telling this man to go deal with. He said, you've been cleansed. All right? Now go for the testimony to the priests, because this, how many inspections has this man already gone through by this point of time? The priests know that he's a leper. He's been declared a leper. He's been forced to live outside the camp, all right, or outside the city or whatever town he's from. And, uh, and now he has the opportunity to be restored back to the worship of Israel. That's the impact of this passage. He's going to have the opportunity to, be, to enter back into the solemn assembly, to bring offerings to Passover, to bring offerings to Pentecost, to come and celebrate at the Feast of Tabernacles, to take part in the nation's celebration of their covenant uh, rituals and festivals. And he gets to participate in that again but only after he's formally brought back into the solemn assembly by these, uh, these sacrifices. So the priest goes outside the camp, and uh, there's some uh, typology there as well with our Savior who was willing to suffer outside the camp, who went outside the camp. 
Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live, clean birds, and cedar wood, and a scarlet string, and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. And there is a ton of uh, ritual associated with all of this, and it's been ages since I've studied Leviticus, so don't ask. <laughs> on some of this process of procedure. We're just simply highlighting the testimony that the sacrifice is, that this man, having been cleansed, gets to go back to the priest and gets to demonstrate that, offer these sacrifices according to the Mosaic Law and be restored back to uh, worship. And uh, we're told, by the way, that a significant number of priests, in the book of Acts, we're told that a significant number of priests were among those that were converted to faith in Christ through not only Christ's ministry, but the ministry of the apostles after Christ uh, in the book of Acts. And events like this are, uh, go a long way to help explain why it would be a Levitical priest would be very impressed <laughs> because here they are pronouncing these lepers as unclean and, oh, you can't come in and, no, you're excluded. And then all of a sudden, the guy that had been previously excluded walks back in as clean as you can imagine and says, here are my sacrifices. I'm back in the assembly now. Uh, you can imagine those Levites, those priests, are going to be very um, impressed. And they're going to say, wow, how did this happen? All right. And the, the, the poor fellow here is going to say, well, I'm not supposed to tell you, but <laughs> let me tell you who did it. And the word starts to spread. All right. So we've got the material there. There is a great article, subpoint F, Unger's Bible Dictionary. Identifying biblical leprosy with what modern medicine terms Hansen's disease. But then there's also wonderful articles in other reference books that totally dispute Unger. <laughs> that say, no, no, no. That item there that's described in Leviticus 13 has nothing to do with Hansen's disease or any form of leprosy that we know today. And so, for instance, if you read... Um, Anchor Bible Dictionary, for example, or ISBE, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, you get some contradictory information with respect to what the Tzara'ath actually was. And um, some of those you read and say, well, okay. And then others you read and say, you know, their approach isn't, isn't a biblical approach anyway, so why are they even writing on the subject? Because <laughs> they don't believe that Moses even wrote the Pentateuch, so why am I reading what they have to say about what, Rose's, what Moses wrote about leprosy? Uh, but in Unger's Bible Dictionary, it says, warning. That's a hyperlink. I know it's a hyperlink. I put it in there. Great article on leprosy. Several different headings, and I won't read them all. But back to... Oh, I didn't mean to do that. As far as the cause, the cause of leprosy is now known to be... Uh, Bacillus, how do you pronounce that? Uh, similar to the one that produces tuberculosis. And modern medicine has classified the disease in terms of two main types, lepromatous and non-lepromatous, with some borderline cases. The lepromatous form is the most severe and is marked initially by lack of pigment and numbness in certain areas of the skin. Nodules occur in various areas of the body and generally ulcerate. Other ulcers form on the feet and affect the bones, and as the disease progresses, the hands and feet become distorted and the limbs swollen. Many uh, peripheral nerves are affected, as are internal organs, and the condition of the patient is frequently complicated by gangrene. All right. Nasty stuff, isn't it? You ever read the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, the unbeliever? 
No? Okay, never mind. It's a work of fiction, but it's interesting because the, the main character is a leper. And he's, he's fighting this, and he's fighting. He's got deadness in all of his extremities, and he's, he's paranoid that the slightest cut, he won't even notice that he's been cut. He has to go through a very rigid self-inspection uh, daily, several times a day, to make sure that his, you know, his fingers aren't falling off and other things aren't happening. Um, it's a, a work of fiction. I'd, actually, I don't recommend the book, but it's, it's interesting because he's transported into a, into a, a, a Tolkien-like mythological world. And there, he's not a leper. There, he's got these different powers and abilities, and he saves the world, basically. But back in his own world, he's a leper, outcast, unclean. Everyone hates him. So yeah, it's an interesting series of books. Um, complicated by gangrene. Tuber uh, tubercular lesions often arise on the face and the skin of the forehead and cheeks, uh, puckers to produce a characteristic lion-like look. In severe cases, most of the skin may thicken and become red. I actually searched, I did an internet search. I was going to try to find some photos, and, and things were kind of gruesome, and I figured, well, maybe we don't need a picture of the characteristic lion-like look. Then uh, the non-lepromatous leprosy. Non-lepromatous leprosy is less severe in character. One variety is marked by patches of skin that have lost sensation and color, but has few lesions and is usually non-infective. Another has rough-looking lesions that may either be pale or reddish, and a third involves some uh, nerves that become thick and sometimes ulcerate when nodules develop. And probably Simon the leper it had the, the milder form. In other words, if he's still having people into his home and hosting dinner events and so forth, he likely he had the lesser form, but who's to say? Uh, the Pharisees wouldn't have gone into either place, but Christ did, and that's, that's interesting there as well. As far as Sarath and clinical lepros uh, leprosy, although some modern doctors have attempted to deny the identification between Sarath and clinical leprosy, Hansen's disease, the correspondence of the Levitical narrative with the signs and symptoms of lepromatous leprosy is so striking as to demand careful consideration. And I find that remarkable because some doctors look at that and say, line by line by line, oh, the, the parallel is unmistakable. And other doctors look at it and go line by line by line and say, oh, no, that has nothing to do with Hansen's disease. Of course, it's no different than any two other doctors look at any the same patient and come up with totally different diagnosis anyway. Those who uh, repudiate the identification have been unable to suggest an alternative disease that would have so terrified the people's of antiquity. Then it goes on to describe leprosy in biblical persons. Of course, Moses had leprosy. In Exodus 4, 6, it was a, a sign that he was able to give to Pharaoh of his divine uh, agency. Are you familiar with Exodus 4, 6? The Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Ooh, you know, Gross. And then uh, put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again. When he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And that was a sign that was supposed to uh, convince Israel that, that Moses was indeed sent by the Lord. Uh, Miriam also received leprosy when she rebelled against Moses. Uh, from Numbers 12, 9 through 16, of course, Moses intercedes. He cries out to the Lord, says, O oh God, heal her, I pray. And so... Um, Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, but then afterwards she was cleansed and received back again. Uh, Naaman the Syrian in uh, 2 Kings 5, Gehazi in 2 Kings 5. Um, these fellows outside the city in 2 Kings 7 
were interesting. When the Assyrian army was coming in, it was going to destroy the city. And they're all walled up inside the city, right? Well, and then that army is wiped out during the night. And there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? You know, it's not a good place to be outside the gate when this army just comes crashing against the walls of the city to destroy the city. It's kind of between a rock and a hard place. They're between an army and a city wall. And they're going to be crushed as soon as the army comes in. So, if we, uh, so they can't go in the city and all these other things. So that they arose at twilight to go out to the camp of the Arameans. And when they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. And they go, wow, how about this? For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore, they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes. I mean, these lepers had it made. They were living like kings. This whole camp was theirs to loot and plunder and whatever else they wanted to do. They returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. And they said to one another, we're not doing right. Uh, this is a day of good news, but we're keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So anyway, it's an interesting event there that happens in Second Kings 7. Uh, king Uzziah was struck with leprosy. In fact, he lived with leprosy to the end of his days. King Uzziah was otherwise a good king in the southern kingdom, but he made some mistakes and he was under divine discipline through the end of his life. There is little doubt that most New Testament persons described as lepers did in fact have Hansen's disease. And he includes not only the Luke 5 episode, uh, but also in Luke 17, the 10 lepers that were healed where only one went back to give thanks. By contrast, Simon the leper probably had a non-malignant sarotnaf, such as vitiligo. Is that how you pronounce that? Leprosy today, just as in biblical times, lepers can be encountered occasionally in public in the Near East today. Uh, in fact, I saw a thing on the National Geographic Channel, I think, dealing with the leper colonies currently uh, in India. Despite its abhor abhorrent character, the disease is not contracted easily by persons in normal health. It is not as contagious as medieval uh, medicine made it out to be. Um, anyway, that's Unger's Bible Dictionary identifying biblical leprosy with what modern medicine terms Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease... And there's the article from the Columbian Encyclopedia, the different thing on Hansen's disease, leprosy, the different types of leprosy, more disgusting, uh, the history of, of leprosy around the world. Good article in the uh, Columbian Encyclopedia. We'll let that go for this morning. Now, back to the leper in Matthew. The leper understood that his cleansing was dependent upon the will of God rather than the merit of man. The leper understood that his cleansing was dependent upon the will of God rather than the merit of man. All three Gospels made it very clear. Lord, if you are willing, I can be cleansed. See, the leper makes no claim that he deserves to be cleansed. Makes no claim that he's earned it or that, uh, that he's going to pay for it in any way or that he will... You know, if you, if you heal me, I'll follow you. I'll become one of your servants. I'll become one of your followers. There's none of that. But simply recognizes that according to the will of God, his status as clean versus unclean will either permit him to return to worship with the nation of Israel or will continue to keep him as 
an outcast, will continue to exclude him from the uh, worship of the nation of Israel. Matthew 8, 2, Lord, if you are willing. And then says you can, you are able, you are capable, you have the capacity to make me clean. The will of God. Say, you know how different this is from these charlatan faith healer type guys today? When the healing doesn't work and they say, oh, well, you didn't have enough faith. Okay? This leper doesn't say, I have enough faith for you to cleanse my leprosy. The leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he says so. In fact, that's recorded. Yeah, those very words recorded in all three gospel accounts. The cleansing is dependent upon the will of God. And with respect to the Old Testament examples of leprosy, with respect to the disease as opposed to what keeps them ceremonially apart. There are other things too, by the way, that would keep you ceremonially apart. Even just normal marital relations would keep you ceremonially apart. Say, if you had sex with your wife last night, you can't go to the Passover services the next day. You have the, if you had a baby, you're out for, si- uh, for seven weeks or 14 weeks if it was a girl. All right. There were other things that would keep you from uh, if you touched a dead body. And sometimes you have to. Military men in war, or you're burying your family member or something else happens. That keeps you from participating in the solemn assembly because you are ritually unclean. It has nothing to do with uh, a, a sickness or a disease or any, uh, anything medical or anything even hygienic. It's entirely dealing with ritual ceremonial uh, purity, whether you're clean or unclean on a ritual ceremonial basis. And I think if we keep if we keep our thinking in that respect, I think we'll do much better with it than if we get caught up in the in the medical aspect or the, the disease uh, parameters here of of leprosy. All right. Um, and there's other there's other contagious sicknesses. And there's no shortage of contagious sicknesses. There's no shortage of, look at all the plagues that, that hit Egypt, or look at all the other forms of sickness that could come. Why was this one marked out? Why was this one significant? And how did the Lord use this one? I mean, the Lord clearly used Sarah as, as divine discipline. Miriam rebelled, boom, leprosy all over her body. Gehazi. The servant of Elisha lied about, he was trying to get money out of Naaman the Syrian. And God said, all right, divine discipline, boom, leprosy. All right. I think, um, and then all these, all these lepers and the prevalency of these lepers here during the life of Christ uh, are indicative of, I think, more than we really realize as opposed to what would otherwise just be a, a natural medical sickness or some kind of phenomenon. But he understood it to be the will of God. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He calls him Lord. He identifies his sovereignty. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Thirdly, he asked for a cleansing rather than a healing. And I find that significant as well. Every single time leprosy is dealt with, it is not necessarily healed per se as it is cleansed. Okay. Now some of that might be semantic, but I think some of that is actually notable. He asked for cleansing, katharizo. In fact, katharizo is used about three different times in these two verses. Lord, if you're willing, you can katharizo me. And he stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I am willing, be cleansed, be katharizoed. 
and immediately his leprosy was cleansed, katharizo. So it's used three times between verse 2 and verse 3. He does not ask for healing. In Matthew 8, 2 and uh, Mark 1, 40 or in Luke 5, 12 and 13, he, uh, the therapeuo does not occur in those passages. Even in, in uh, Matthew 10, 8, which we looked at a little bit ago, um, he says, heal the sick. Therap- that's therapeuo the sick because they need healing. Raise the dead. They don't need healing. They need to be raised. <laughs> uh, cleanse the lepers. So it makes a difference between the sick and the lepers. You notice that? Cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. So if the, if, if the lepers aren't sick, what are they? It says heal the sick, but then it says cleanse the lepers. All right. Uh, same thing in 11.5 when he's given the encouragement, the blind receive sight. You know, are, are the blind sick? Do they need to be healed? They need to have sight. The, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the uh, dead are raised up. There is one aspect of cleansing, or healing rather, in Luke 17, but even that doesn't use therapeuo, it uses yaomai, and even that, the healing really speaks of a wholeness more than more than um, any kind of medical process. Luke 17, 14, and 15. Um, he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They raised their voices. Why? Well, because they couldn't get too close. They had to stay at a distance. They had to shout, leper, unclean, le- you know, lepros. And uh, so they're shouting, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed, Katharizo. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, and that's not therapeutic healing, that's Yahamai healing, and that is made whole, went back to give thanks. One of them, when he saw that he had been made whole, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face and his feet, at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. And this is the thing, you know, were there not ten clans, and where did those nine go? But the one who happened to be a Samaritan of all people comes back and gives thanks. And he identifies now that he's he's been made whole. In other words, he has a body that is now going to permit him to go and worship uh, with, you know, his soul and spirit in the capacity that he has always wanted to and never been allowed to. See, now he's been made whole. Now he can go and he can worship and he can approach the uh, solemn assembly and, and all the rest. So even though we have an English translation of healed in verse 15, when he saw that he'd been healed, it's not therapeutic there, it's yaamai, and it has the respect of his wholeness. Um, we don't really view the, rest, the, uh, the, the treatment of a leper as a healing as much as a cleansing that he is now permitted to assemble uh, under the scrutiny of the uh, Levites that determine whether the person is qualified or not. And, and by the way, it wasn't just, I keep saying this, wasn't just lepers, but hunchbacks, right? Hunchbacks couldn't go into the assembly or uh, eunuchs, uh, any man that's been emasculated can't come into the assembly. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things that would ban a person from life or just for a season, depending upon what was happening there that would keep them out of the assembly, uh, leprosy being one 
significant one given two whole chapters in Mosaic Law. Point four, Jesus' miracle was instantaneous. Jesus' miracle was instantaneous, and yet the cleansed leper was instructed to follow the Mosaic legislation. In other words, he didn't say, all right, now go for seven days and come back and I'll heal you then. <laughs> he just said, you're done. You're cleansed. Go bring the sacrifices. An instantaneous healing. Instantaneous cleansing. And yet the cleansed leper was instructed to follow the Mosaic legislation. And all three times we're told why. It was a testimony to the Levites. A testimony to the priests. See, something greater than the temple was here. And these priests and Levites were being notified that with, with the cleansing of these lepers. All right. Matthew 8, 4, Mark 1, 44, Luke 5, 14. Every incident in these synoptic gospels is highlighting that the, the reason for bringing the sacrifice was a testimony. Was a testimony. Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go. So he's not interested in the popularity, not interested in the, uh, you know, go and uh, report to the Jerusalem Times, uh, you know, get on talk radio and start, start sharing what a great healing ministry there is going on here. Go to the priests and offer the sacrifice so you can be restored back to the, uh, to the fellowship of the nation of Israel. Show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. It's a testimony. Why do we lose track of what our testimony is? I mean, beyond, think about um, the local church. Beyond the fact, obviously, that you're commanded not to neglect the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, Hebrews 10.25. Beyond the fact that you're commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beyond the fact that you have to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Put all that aside. You've got plenty of good reasons to come to Bible class and get teaching and grow in the Scriptures. But beyond all of that, you have a witness and a testimony. See, we want to be able to communicate to our children, by the way, sitting under the authority of the Word of God is important. That's a witness, that's a testimony that we have a priority to be in Bible class. We have a priority on Sundays, for example, where we are assembling together with the brethren as opposed to mowing the yard or fixing the car or washing the dog or whatever else people do on Sunday mornings when they're not in the assembly. See, it's a witness and a testimony on top of everything else. And that's what happens here. Quite frankly, it happens all too often in the negative sense where the parents say, do this, do that, do that, but they're not doing it. And so what message comes through loud and clear? The actions that speak louder than words comes through loud and clear. And if there's a difference between a husband and a wife where it's real important to the wife and the husband blows it off and doesn't care. The children pick up on that. Absolutely. All right. So beyond everything else, there is a witness and a testimony with respect to the things that we're doing. The cleansing of leprosy would compound the fame that Jesus gathered by his miscellaneous demon expulsions. He was already gathering crowds. We saw how in Capernaum they didn't even want him to leave town. They were hounding him. They, they tried to track him down. He'd slip away to a mountain and go pray somewhere early in the morning, and they were hunting him down. They didn't want him to leave Capernaum. They wanted to keep him there. 
So the fame was already growing because of the, the demon expulsions. I don't want to call it exorcism because exorcism is a phony baloney procedure that utilizes incantation and other processes. But demon expulsions is where with a word of, uh, of, uh, of uh, delegated authority is given by his heavenly father. He just simply gave the command and the demon had to go. But even beyond that, now fame is growing. Fame is growing. And this is, this is uh, according to God's will. God the Father wants the fame to explode, and that's what's happening. See, not because the Father's trying to turn Jesus Christ into a, you know, it's not, this isn't Jesus Christ superstar where he's just becoming this big uh, pop icon in the, in, among Israel. All right. Somebody just walked in I did not recognize. All right, thank you, Michael. Looks like they headed back to Sunday school somewhere. Um, the reason for giving Jesus all this fame wasn't so that he would, he would enjoy it or that he would feed off of it or that uh, it was so that he could be tested. Jesus Christ had to be tested in all things even as we are, which means he had to face prosperity testing. He had to face popularity testing. He had to face all of the accolades of everybody saying, oh, you're wonderful, we want you to be our king. He had to face all of these things in order to pass those tests with humility and not get sucked up into areas of pride. He had to face those. And when the test was passed, by the way, that, that fame was removed. <laughs> popularity plummeted because he stayed faithful with the teaching. He kept teaching hard messages, started going into, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And boy, that started people packing when he's given those kind of tough messages, see. So he's, he's, he's going to face the broad spectrum of public uh, adoration and, and fame and then back to obscurity, back to hatred where they don't want any part of him. When they're demanding his death, give us Barabbas, crucify this guy, see. And Jesus is going to stay faithful through each and every test, all right? And as we've noted in many other events and occasions, uh, it's usually it's the prosperity test that's the hardest one to deal with. That, uh, you know, the adversity test, you can knuckle down and humble yourself and stay faithful to the Father and see Him faithfully provide. But it's that prosperity test where we get stupid. We just get full of ourselves and we, we start thinking, wow, look at me. I must be special because these, th- these thousands of people think I am. Right? Wrong. So... The Lord had to face this. It's going to grow. It's going to keep on growing. And there are going to be so many packing him out when he's feeding the 4,000 and feeding the 5,000. It's only going to grow. Because, wow, look at this guy. He can cast out demons. He can cleanse leprosy. And he can give us all the bread we could eat. What a better king. See, we, there, there's no better king. That's who we want. Okay? All right. Next week, we'll come back to this and we'll deal with the paralytic. So we'll move on into Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 9. Mark chapter 2 and uh, the next paragraph in Luke chapter 5. We'll just move right along to episode 9 of the Galilean ministry. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father, for the cleansing we have in Christ. And beyond literal cleansings, uh, such as in the case of the lepers, Father, we all have the, the uh, positional cleansing through faith in Christ, that we are made clean, that we are sanctified, we are brought into your presence, and we thank you for that. We ask now for your hand of blessing upon us as we go forth in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.